Welcome back to Conversations on Cancer, brought to you by the Riverside Cancer Institute. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Shannon Mail, an oncology nurse practitioner here at the Riverside Cancer Institute. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Shannon. Thanks for having me. So you have a lot of experience in the oncology field as a nurse, nurse practitioner, and I'm sure through the years you've heard patients come in or their family members with some interesting preconceived notions about cancer, maybe things that are true, maybe things that aren't true. In today's podcast, you're going to help us debunk some of the most common cancer myths that we hear and hopefully, you know, try to help those who are maybe starting a cancer journey or a family member who's doing research about cancer. And maybe some of these put their minds at ease because not all of these things are true that you hear. Correct. Yeah, I'm happy to help. Okay. So are you ready to give us some knowledge here? Our first myth or fact you have to tell us, regular checkups in today's medical technology can detect all types of cancer early. True or false? Well, not totally true. So there is breast cancer screenings, like with mammograms, they do do lung cancer screenings with the lungs for life. So there are some screenings, some pap smears and stuff like that. I mean, these screenings can help catch cancer early, but some types of cancers don't really have symptoms and they're kind of vague symptoms and you kind of blow it off as something else. And then usually when they do start having symptoms, unfortunately, it's at a later stage. Yeah. So kind of what you're saying is there are some things that are in your control as far as getting screenings and trying to detect early, but there are some types of cancer that might not present until they're in a later stage. Correct. Correct. And a lot of times I think patients try to treat some of their symptoms at home, which is good with over-the-counter prescriptions. But if symptoms become persistent or they're not responding to, you know, over-the-counter medications, definitely seek medical attention. Got it. Got it. Our next myth or fact is when you are getting cancer treatments, you cannot work or do any of your usual activities. This is completely false. Many people can continue to go to work and do their usual daily activities while getting cancer treatment, but it's not true for everybody. Typically, there's always a handful of patients that do get sick from their treatment and are not able to work or sometimes develop side effects from the treatment and they're not able to work, but majority of people still are able to do their normal daily activities and still work their 40 hours a week. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of it is like listening to your body and there might be times when you can work and then times when you can't, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And cancer treatment is cumulative. So usually as you get more and more treatments, you can have more and more of the side effects. So sometimes people can work up to their first couple of cycles and then they have to go to part-time. But majority of people still work. That's great. That's great to hear. Our next myth or fact is cancer is always painful. That is false. Sometimes there's zero pain with cancer. Yeah, I think sometimes people expect just because the treatment is so rigorous that it might present as pain. But like you said earlier, there's so many different ways that a cancer can present. And then even going through treatment, you might not experience pain, but you might experience fatigue or other symptoms that aren't pain as well. So kind of throughout the continuum. Correct. Yeah. Our next one is everyone with the same kind of cancer gets the same kind of treatment. Oh, that's false. So each cancer is treated with a different type of chemotherapy. The way I explain it to patients, it's kind of like an infection, right? You don't treat strep as the same as you would like an upper respiratory infection. So that's how the cancers are treated. Each cancer is treated with a different type of medication, all in the chemotherapy family, but a different type of chemotherapy. Yeah, that's why it's important to kind of like what you all emphasize here is like working with your cancer care team to find a plan that's best for you because maybe you know someone who had the same kind of cancer as you and your treatment might not necessarily look the same as what theirs looked like. Correct. And I'll get family members that'll come in and if I'm seeing somebody with breast cancer, somebody will come be like, well, my uncle had colon cancer and he had this and this and this. Well, colon cancer is not treated the same as breast cancer. So it's a good conversation to have because a lot of times people don't know. 
Right, right. The next one is that cancer is contagious. This is mostly false, and it, it is false. But one of the cancers that we're seeing, and we're seeing at high cases of it actually, is like head and neck cancers or cervical cancers that is caused from HPV, which is a sexually transmitted virus. And you typically don't know you have it. So true and false. <laughs> you know, there are always exceptions to everything. There so, is. yeah. And then, like, Epstein Barr virus is another one that people can get that can increase their risk for malignancies as well. Cancer isn't contagious, but certain viruses can cause a cancer diagnosis and not in everybody. Right. And that makes sense. So, our next one is that because my mother or father had cancer, I will get cancer. True or false? That is false. Although there are certain genetic links that we know of, and I swear every month there's new links that are found, which is great. And it's something that they're actually developing medications to actually target those certain genes, which is also great. But majority, as of now, I believe genetic cancers only are about 8 to 10% of cancers. Oh, wow are genetically linked. So majority of cancers that we do see don't have any genetic component. So I do get that question a lot. Like, I don't have family history of cancer. Nobody in my family's ever had cancer. How did I get it? And it's unlikely that there's a genetic component there. Wow, that's really interesting because we do hear a lot about genetics. And like you said, that can play a factor, but it's interesting because, yeah, I think people automatically assume, which, like you said, you're Risk might be increased, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to right. get that. I think people should get tested for their genetic link if somebody in their family has it because then preventative screening starts sooner. So if you do have a family history, definitely get tested and definitely start screening because if we can catch it early, we can treat it. Right, right. Moving into kind of the treatment realm of things, our next myth or fact is chemotherapy will cause me to lose my hair. Yes and no. Certain chemotherapies do cause hair loss, not all of them. Some just cause hair thinning, some cause full hair loss, and some don't cause any hair loss whatsoever. So it really depends on the type of chemotherapy that you receive. Yeah, and sometimes maybe even too on the person as well. Like we said, people sometimes react differently to things. They do, and sometimes if people are already having hair loss, sometimes the less hair loss causing agents can cause you to lose hair. So everybody's kind of individual, but there are a handful of drugs when I see patients and be like, yep, you're going to lose your hair. Or there's a 50-50 shot, you're going to lose your hair. No, you don't really lose your hair with this one. So nothing's 100%, right? It's not a guarantee, but there are some drugs that we can say yay. Right. Our final myth or fact is some types of cancers are preventable. True. This is definitely true. There are things that we do in our life that can definitely prevent cancer. One of the ones that we can't really prevent is aging. You know, back when I started in oncology, that's what cancer was considered was the disease of aging. It's not the disease of aging anymore. We're seeing younger and younger people, but there are some lifestyles that we do that increase our risk, especially alcohol consumption. Everybody knows smoking. I think one of the things with smoking is people just automatically assume it just causes lung cancer. But it's the number one cause of kidney cancer is smoking. Oh, wow. Wow. So people don't realize that either. But smoking does increase your risk for cancer. Obesity, sedentary lifestyles, diet, hormone replacement therapy. So there's a lot of lifestyles that we can do to prevent or decrease our risk because we don't know who's going to get it. I've known people that have smoked for 60 years and don't get lung cancer and people that smoke 10 years in college and they develop a smoking type of lung cancer. Why one person gets it and the other, we don't really have the answer for that. I wish we did, but 
We don't. And certain exposures to chemicals can increase your risk for cancer. So you want to make sure that you're using the appropriate protective gear and equipment to make sure that you're decreasing your risk for exposure. There are so many things that are out of our control medically, but I think kind of overall it helps to know there are some things a little bit in your control, you know, as far as, like you said, the lifestyle choices you make and keeping up with those screenings and making sure that you're getting the right screenings for your age. Those things are in your control, but hopefully, like we talked about earlier, catch that cancer early if you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm a huge advocate for screenings. Even if somebody is seeing me for, I don't just see oncology, I do see people that are iron deficient, hematology patients as well. I mean, I talk to them about their mammograms, their colonoscopies, their bone density, their pap smears, because I want to make sure they're seeking these preventative screenings. Even though we're not seeing them, I want to make sure they're primary or if they don't have a primary, I will order it and kind of talk to them about the importance of having this done. I think that's a great place to end off on. Thank you so much, Shannon, for coming on the podcast today. And thank you for debunking these myths with us and hopefully putting some minds at ease. I think this will help a lot of people. Well, great. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And thank you listeners for tuning in to Conversations on Cancer brought to you by the Riverside Cancer Institute. Make sure to leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our podcasts. To learn more about the Riverside Cancer Institute, visit riversidehealthcare.org cancer.